This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here with only Ryan Kennedy. There's no Ken Campbell. He is on vacation this week. He's bathing in the heat from his own hot takes. So we get a week off from Ken, just as Ken gets a week off from work. But luckily for us, we have some wild storylines just feeding us for the show this week. Austin Matthews hurt a lot of coaches on the hot seat all of a sudden early in this season. So let's get to it with our hot topics. Of course, first of all, we have to start with Austin Matthews against the Jets on Saturday. Injures his shoulder. Different shoulder than the one he hurt last year, but we know shoulder injuries can be chronic. There's so many questions that come with this injury, but I guess for, for you, Ryan, the first one is, will the Leafs be okay? Can they survive? If we assume this is a long-term absence, let's say a month or more, will the Leafs be okay? I think they'll be okay. And you know what we're hearing is it's four weeks minimum. I would suspect that it'll probably be around four weeks. And I mean, the good thing about this, at least short term, they came back in that game and beat the Jets. And it was a very impressive comeback. Uh, against a team that is a Stanley Cup contender. I think that if you look at John Tavares, obviously his role increases, but really it's kind of like the Leafs last year. They were still a very good team. They didn't have John Tavares, they only had Austin Matthews. And, I mean, they didn't have Austin Matthews for a while because he was hurt a couple times there. I think the fact that Nazem Kadri has gotten off the schneid is huge because now you can still have those two potent lines. I think they'll be fine. If there was ever a time for an injury, it would be now when the season has already begun, you're already first in the division, they have time to work things out. And I mean, if you're gonna go glass half full, other guys can step up and take on bigger roles. It's funny, I always wonder what the schneid is. People get off the schneid, like what is the schneid? And why do people want off it? I don't know. Uh, The other question I think that comes with this injury is William Nylander. Does he now have leverage? Yes, he's mainly a right winger now, but we know he can play center in a pinch. And just from a depth standpoint, now you're down to almost the final month before the deadline. And if if he doesn't sign by then, he cannot play in the NHL this year. So do you think this is a major shift now in leverage for the William Nylander camp? I think it depends on how the Leafs do in the next couple of games. Because if they win those games, then I think you're, you're still back to square one with Nylander. Uh, if they drop a couple, then maybe his camp says, hey, you know, our boy, he can fill in and uh, you can use some scoring right now. So really, I, I don't think it actually matters because it seems like every week things have shifted where, you know, when the Leafs were scoring five plus goals a game, it was like, ah, eh, you know, they apparently they're okay without Nylander. When they, you know, got shut out by Pittsburgh and only got one against St. Louis, it was, well, maybe they need Nylander. So I, I, I don't think... It fluctuates too much, but, I mean, people talk about Nylander every day, so I think it's still going to be that daily thing where either the sky is falling or everything is fine. And we're doing it right now. We're talking about it right now. We're just feeding that roller coaster. And lastly, is it fair to call Austin Matthews injury-prone or at least a threat to become an injury-prone player, especially because shoulders, they tend to be chronic. Once they're injured, they, they tend to get re-injured easier throughout a player's career. Should we be worried now that Austin Matthews is brittle? I would be a little bit concerned because these injuries, it's, it's not just the NHL. It goes back to his NTDP days. Um, his first season, he, most, he missed most of it with injury, and that was why he kind of came out of nowhere was that a lot of people didn't see him in that U17 year. 
you do have to wonder if he's kind of a you know a bigger version of a player that you only pencil in for 65 games a season and you hope that's not the case you hope this is just a matter of bad luck early on and and he's okay from here but right now and especially when you're talking long-term contract which Austin Matthews is going to need quite soon does that factor into mm. the negotiations? That's a fair question. I wonder if Matthews is going to carve out sort of an Evgeny Malkin career niche where you expect, like you said, 65 games, and it's probably elite production, but it's consistent, the 10-15 games missed every year. Uh, switching over to the Montreal Canadiens, Carey Price passes Patrick Waugh for second on the franchise's all-time wins list. It's funny, time really flies. Uh, and there are a lot of takes I was reading saying, is Carey Price better than Patrick Waugh? Is he the greatest Habs goalie ever? And to that I say, whoa, Nelly, slow it down. And yes, of course, Carey Price had a dominant peak and he won the Hart and the Vezina in the same season. He carried the Habs and he's done that multiple years. But he's also been very injury prone. And I think there's a lot of projection going into rating Price as the, as the greatest ever or second greatest ever. Patrick Waugh won two of his three consmites with Montreal, multiple Stanley Cups. I think that's insanity. No disrespect to Carey Price, he's been a great goaltender, but what do you think? Well, I was looking at uh, HockeyReference.com, they have the, the great stats there, including goalie point shares per team, and I, I thought that would be a good place to look, at, at least to start. Jacques Plante, all-time leader in Montreal, and he's got Stanley Cup, so I don't think you can dethrone him uh, in any way for anybody else in Montreal right now. Carey Price is now second in goalie point shares. But as you pointed out, Patrick Waugh, he's got two Stanley Cups. Played some of his best hockey in his career in Montreal. I don't think you can put Price ahead of Patrick Waugh right now because Waugh's got the titles. If Carey Price should win a Stanley Cup, I, I don't even know if one would do it. You might need two to equal what Patrick Waugh did. But right now, I think you have to put Carey Price behind Patrick Waugh still in terms of overall impact. My question is, is Carey Price a more important goaltender to the Montreal Canadiens than Ken Dryden? Scott, mm. he has better goalie point shares, more goalie point shares than Ken Dryden. Obviously, Ken Dryden has a boatload of titles with Montreal. Although, if, if I'm going to be devil's advocate here, the fact that leaning on his stick is the famous Ken Dryden. I've always pose, said the same thing, yeah. Uh, kind of tells you that he had a pretty good cast in front of him. Yeah, he was bored. Like, yeah, he was bored, yeah. So, you know, if you're facing like 15 shots a night, then obviously that's going to be a bit of a factor. I don't know if it was actually 15. I'm sure it was a bit more than that. But I think that's kind of the debate for me right now is, is it Carey Price, Ken Dryden? And because Ken's not here, I'm going to toss in a Ken nugget, which is you, you also have to consider Bill Dernan. Right, fair, absolutely. Bill Dern, the, the dominant, absolutely dominant goaltender who yeah. had that really short career. And the thing about Patrick Waugh, people might say, oh, Price carried some bad teams, but so did Patrick Waugh. Both years that he won the Stanley Cup, those were overachieving teams that Waugh really, really put on his shoulders. Um, the coach hot seat is really on fire right now in multiple cities, but I think St. Louis and Los Angeles would be the, would be the two top cities right now. You have Mike Yell, Blues coach, even openly talking about his own job security and recognizing that it's in trouble. Uh, and then in, in LA, you have John Stevens and the Kings have started very slowly as well. So the question to me is which coach is more likely to lose his job first? I'm gonna say St. Louis because to me, there's an accountability on the part of you already, implying that he knows he's in trouble. 
Uh, in LA, I, I still think there's a bit of denial around this entire franchise. Uh, they believe that they're still these Stanley Cup champion types, and I think it's going to take them longer to realize they have a problem uh, if it is coaching and it comes to firing Stevens. But what do you think? I, I actually agree with you there. <laughs> I, I think it's the Blues because there's, there's really no excuses at this point. I mean, if you look at that lineup, they've got their weapons. They, they have that full roster pretty much, and they're just not getting the job done. And as you said, like, I mean, Yo even pointed it out himself. Uh, the things aren't going well. And if you're identifying the problem in public, I feel like that's a pretty bad omen. With the Kings, I see the denial, and I think that because of that, Stevens gets a longer leash because, you know, if you're Rob Blake, if you're the rest of the brain trust in L.A., you say, okay, well, we haven't had Dustin Brown, and that's why our power play has been so meager so far. Dustin Brown is now coming off the IR, so that's good. But now Jonathan Quick is on the shelf as well. So you say, well, we don't have Jonathan Quick. So once we get everybody back, I'm sure we'll be okay. As I'm sure you're thinking, I don't think it will be okay. Yeah. I think they're in real trouble. It's probably not going to be okay. It's probably not going to be okay. However, I think for the purposes of a coach getting fired, Yo is going to come before Stevens. Yeah, and, and the weird thing with the Blues is that people are saying, oh, you know, Vladimir Tarasenko is off to a slow start. But if you look at the deeper numbers, unlucky shooting percentage for him and Jaden Schwartz, the real problem has been goaltending. And, I mean, Jake Allen, he's 28 years old now. I think the light is not going to come on. It would have come on already. And defense. The Blues have been pretty porous defensively, which is strange because they're a team that was always known for being more of a, a defensive bent as opposed to offensive bent. They were 24th in offense last year, but goals have actually not been the problem. The Blues are just getting scored on a ton. It's fantasy insider time. A few pickups for you. First one is Jacob Vrana of the Washington Capitals. Now, you might think it's a short-term pickup because Tom Wilson, when he comes back from his suspension, probably going to get his spot back on the top line with Kuznetsov and Ovechkin. Vrana's there right now, but the thing is, Vrana does have that first-round pedigree, and I think Vrana's talent, it's still there, his raw skill is good enough that if he got hot, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he gets pulled off that line, so it's worth picking him up to find out because it's so cheap to get him. Pickup number two is Vince Dunn from the St. Louis Blues, and Dunn's a guy, I wouldn't say he was ever an A-grade prospect, but he was a B-grade prospect, and sure. he was a good scorer coming up in the AHL. He's on the first power play unit, and he had six points in his first eight games, he's scoring goals. And it's hard to just find good offensive defensemen in fantasy pools for cheap. Uh, so he's a guy that I'd be grabbing right away, especially because he's on that top power play unit. And third, we have a guy in Ottawa who's sort of been thrust into the old Kyle Tourist role, Chris Tierney. And Ken, I know, has said before that Tierney has gotten an opportunity that he never had in the past. And, and I agree, he's getting a lot of minutes. And just by default, he's just on the ice a lot right now. And he's getting the opportunity to play on a scoring line where he was always sort of in that middle six role in San Jose. Uh, so I think it's worth just grabbing Tierney to find out. Again, if you're in a deep league, it's cheap, and it just seems like the opportunity is there. So I would go for Chris Tierney. Future watch time, two prospects from Ryan Kennedy. Let's go. All right, for the 2019 draft, I'm looking at Spencer Knight, goaltender for the National Team Development Program with USA Hockey. I'm super excited about Spencer Knight. I've been super excited about him for a couple of years now, and he is off to a fantastic start. Undefeated so far, 928 state percentage. Listen to some of the teams he's beaten already. And keep in mind, he is on an under-18 team. Notre Dame, the number one college team in the country at the time. Michigan, featuring Quinn Hughes and a lot of other good guys. Harvard, featuring Adam Fox and a lot of, a lot of other good players. So 
he's going up against some of the best NCAA teams in the country, sometime with opponents that are 22, 23 years old, and he is stonewalling them. Had a chance to talk with Thomas Spear, the goaltending coach for Team USA, the other day. He loves this kid. He loves how strong he is already. He loves the mental toughness. He's a very calm, easygoing kid in the net. Got a great frame, great technique. Reads the play better than anyone that Spear has seen in his years with the NTDP and just in sort of junior hockey. So Spencer Knight, I think he's going to be a first rounder, which is not a given for goalies these days. That's right. One in the last three drafts has been the first rounder. Exactly. And uh, you even think like Thatcher Demko was not a first rounder. And speaking of which, Spencer Knight committed to Boston College, so he'll be heading there next season, and I think he'll even have a shot at the World Juniors this year. I don't think he'll necessarily be the starter for Team USA. I think Caden Primo is a better option because he's older. Um, but I would love to see Knight get on that roster. All right. And who are you looking at in terms of the drafted prospects this week? Well, let's go to the OHL. Morgan Frost with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. 30 points in 16 games. Um, he's a Philadelphia Flyers pick. And for Flyers fans, what they will love is... 11 points in his past five and actually I, I did five games because it's a round number but the game before that he had four points hmm. so 15 in his past six this is a guy that exploded last year for offense and you know the Greyhounds they lost a lot of talent over the summer but they're still a very good team and with Barrett Hayton coming back from the Arizona Coyotes they are right in the middle of it and Frost I mean he's such a good playmaker he has such incredible vision great hands I expect him to be a very important part of Canada's World Junior Team. And right now, he's on fire, just putting himself in a real good position. Interesting. And the Flyers, I've said for a while that it's only a matter of time before the Metropolitan Division belongs to the Philadelphia Flyers because you have Carter Hart coming up eventually. Mm -hmm. We know that decor is young and great with Provorov, Ghost Bear, et cetera, et cetera. You have Nolan Patrick on the rise and then Morgan Frost, guys like that coming on the forward side. I just love what Ron Hextall and company have done in the last few years, really building up a strong pipeline uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, switching over to the magazine, we're still riding the Prospects Unlimited train because it's so fun. It's a great magazine. Uh, and one thing we featured in that most recent issue is Ryan's, I, I call it the offensively early mock <laughs> yes. draft. Uh, so you've been studying your draft rankings already for 2019. So who so far has been the biggest riser uh, this season? Well, one name that really jumped onto the page for me was Philip Broberg, defenseman for AIK in Sweden. Um, you know, a bit of an unknown quantity for me last year, but he had a great Holinka Gretzky tournament in the summer for Sweden. You know, he's a big kid, excellent skater, not afraid to use his offensive skills to create. So I think this is the type of player where, you know, I had him pretty high in the mock draft. I think I had him like eighth. Um, I think defensemen tend to go a little earlier than uh, you would expect if you were just doing a like a top-down ranking and I did do just my top 31 for the THN website the other day uh, so you can check it out there I actually had Broberg a little bit later I think I'm like 12th or 11th there um, but for mock draft purposes I had him eighth and I think he's the type of player that a team will jump up for because he has so much potential he's still kind of raw but he's in a good development situation and I just think that Broberg could be that kind of unicorn defenseman. He's not as tall as Victor Hedman, but I would love to see how he develops in the next couple of years because I think he could be a real gem. 
And a great name too. Broberg, if, he, if he's the kind of guy that parties off the ice, like the headlines with Broberg doing being a bro, I just like the potential there. <laughs> it writes itself. Yeah, it writes itself. Um, if you look at the most recent NHL drafts, you know, we were spoiled in the 2015 and 2016 classes. And I think 2018 was considered pretty strong, whereas 2017 was weaker by comparison. Yeah. So how would you grade, let's say, the first round so far of 2019 in terms of the quality, how it's projected to be? I think it's going to be a pretty good draft. And, you know, this is a good year for the WHL. Kirby Doc, Dylan Cousins up top, uh, Peyton Krebs in there, Bowen Byram on the defense. Uh, also the NTDP. I mentioned Spencer Knight, but we also know this is the Jack Hughes draft. And it's not just Jack Hughes, it's Matthew Boldy, it's Trevor Zegras, it's Alex Turcott, it's Johnny Beecher, it's Cam York, it's Alex Vlasic, it's Cole Caulfield. Like all those guys could be like top 40 draft picks. I think it's going to be one of the best NTDP years ever. And because of that, you're getting just a lot of talent out there. So I think it's going to be a pretty good draft class. All right. Uh, it's hot take time. And Ken Campbell's not here, but I'm going to put on my Ken hat. I don't know if I'm going to do a Ken impression, probably not, but I'm going to give you my best hot take. And that hot take is, Sergei Bobrovsky of the Columbus Blue Jackets is going to follow the career path of Patrick Waugh when he got traded out of Montreal. I think personally, right now, we know that Bobrovsky is a pending UFA. There's been a lot of talk that he doesn't want to re-sign. And I believe the behavior of the Blue Jackets as a team so far is that of a team that's trying to nudge Bobrovsky out the door. I think they've been disrespecting him. They didn't start him mm. in the opener. This is your two-time Vezina Trophy winning goaltender. Uh, and even the team around Bobrovsky, it's very interesting to me, Yunus Corpusalo, they have the same numbers, almost identical. If you look at the goals against average save percentage, Corpusalo has not lost a game yet. And to me, it looks like the team in front of him is playing almost harder for Corpusalo. So I wonder oh. if there's a message trying to be sent here to Sergei Bobrovsky and if there's going to be a rift or if the rift has already started between these two teams. And we know that there are several teams out there that could really use a major upgrade and it would be a rental possibly uh, in net. I'm looking at a team like St. Louis, which I yes. think is one goalie away from being very good again. Even Philly, if they want to rest or keep Carter Hart marinating a bit longer in the minors. Um, so that's my take. I don't know if I did Ken justice, but what do you think? Am I crazy or could you see this happening? I could totally see it happening. I mean, Bobrovsky to Philly would be kind of ironic oh. because he did start there and they kind of gave up on him. Um, and that's, yeah, yeah, that's got, some, that's got some spice to it. I mean, that is an untenable situation in Columbus right now. I mean, they, it's so difficult because you know Panarin and Bobrovsky aren't going to be there next year. So what do you do? You are a potential contender at least in the division or you should be on paper you've, you've got the horses but you can't trade them in the division uh, yeah true. you don't even want to trade them in the conference so what do you do yeah that's tough and some people might say well look at steven stamkos a couple years back and tampa knew they were at risk of losing him but they had a contending team so they had to keep him but the difference is there weren't reports leaking left and right yeah. about Stamkos wanting out. Yeah. So the leverage is different. I don't know. It, I don't envy Yarmo Kikalainen right now. It's a messy situation mm. in Columbus. It's time for the mailbag. And we're sticking with the goalie train and the Philly train. Everything's yeah. just tying together in a neat little package this <laughs> week. This one is from Ryan at Ryan Wargala. Ryan says, how long before Carter Hart 
gets a shot in Philly. And that's interesting because maybe it depends on whether the Flyers make a trade. We know Carter Hart is probably, what, a top two goaltending prospect in the world along with Ilya Samsonov. Sure, yeah. So what do you think, Ryan? You're the prospect guy. You're better suited to speak on this first. Yeah, I'm going to say that he doesn't get a shot until, and only if, Philly is out of the playoff picture late. I think Ron Hextall knows that the development of Carter Hart is really important to this organization. Goaltending is the one void they've had basically since Ron Hextall played for the Flyers. So for Carter Hart, playing in Lehigh Valley in the AHL is the best course of action this season. But should the Flyers fall out of the race late in the season, I think it would be nice to see Carter Hart get even one start with Philly just as a little taste, a bon mot, if you will, uh, to see what the NHL game is like, what the pace is like, what the roaring crowd is like. Maybe he gets a high five from Gritty. I don't know. Oh, Gritty, by the way, dissed the hockey news this week. He was upset with our ranking, I, I know, guess. Gritty. I was crushed. I, I didn't quite even understand that. It's like we were just ranking things about Gritty. Yeah, they were all, they were all things that he did that were awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, Gritty is an agent of chaos, so I would not look too far into his motives. You just Gritty just has to be. <laughs> He's just an entity. Yeah, that's but, fair. That's fair. Yeah. So, long story short... Um, I, I don't think we need to see Carter Hart this year, but if Philly has nothing to play for in, say, the last week of the season, um, I, I don't think it would be a bad idea to get him a start just for him to, to get that taste, knowing that next year maybe they need him. I'm going to play devil's advocate on this one. Okay? In this, this era of the NHL, when you have a good young team, you only have so many shots, and especially Claude Giroux's prime is not going to last forever, and neither is Jacob Voracek's. Wayne Simmons is a pending UFA. The Flyers, they won four of their first 11 games. Their best goaltender in their system, including the guys they have in the NHL, is quite possibly Carter Hart. So if you understand that these windows are now precious in today's NHL, do you not want to roll with the best goal you have? And if, even if Carter Hart, if he, has, if he has a learning curve, if he struggles, he's still probably going to be better than Brian Elliott and Michael Neuner. It's very possible. Something to consider. Yep. Next question is from, I think this guy is some mystical knight from, I don't know, another planet. It's Sivar, <laughs> son of Will. <laughs> okay, Sivar. Um, will the Flames pursue a replacement for Mike Smith during the season? Will they make a trade for Sergei Bobrovsky? Look at these tie-ins. I know. Or Pekarene, or will they attempt to sign one of them in the offseason instead? It's a fair question because Mike mm. Smith so far... He's possibly showing his age. He was, I think, the Flames' best player for much of last season before he got hurt. Uh, but he's in his mid-30s now, so you have to wonder if the old Mike Smith is never going to come back. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think that if Calgary is in a position where they're really struggling in the standings in terms of making the playoffs, because I think they do need to make the playoffs. Let's, let's just get that out of the way right now. This cannot be a missed season for the Flames. I think that Bobrovsky... That would be a good trade for them because it's out of conference. So I think the willingness for the Blue Jackets to make a deal with Calgary would, would be open. Um, whereas Rene, I'm, I'm not sure about that one because if you're in Nashville, it's Stanley Cup or bust. And even if UC Soros turns out to be your starter in the playoffs, you want to make sure that you have a really good goaltender should Soros 
So you get injured in the first series or like, something like that. It's the Pittsburgh rule, right? It's when the they, Pittsburgh yeah, rule. They kept Murray and Fleury and bada-bing, bada-boom. Exactly. So I think Nashville wants to hang on to Rene. Plus, Nashville doesn't want to face Pekka Rene in a potential playoff matchup and get beaten by their old goaltender. That would be horrible. <laughs> so I think Bobrovsky would be the option there. Another name to keep in mind, and I, I think this would be an option in the offseason as well, Semyon Varlamov in Colorado. Again, because Colorado is in conference and has playoff designs of their own, I don't think that they deal Varlamov at the deadline. But I could totally see in the summer the Avs saying, you know what, we like Philip Grubauer. We think we should go a little bit younger. And, uh, you know, they've, they've got Pavel Francouz playing in the AHL right now who had a, you know, a great international resume before he signed with the team as a free agent. I think those are all options for Calgary. It's just a matter of where they're at come deadline time. Fair. And interestingly, Varlamov is, he's a goaltender's goaltender. I find over the years, anytime I've been doing stories about kind of goaltending in general, talking to other goalies, retired goalies who they like, Varlamov is a guy whose name comes up a lot. Rene is usually the guy they love the most mm. for his athleticism, his glove hand. But um, I remember it was Archer Zerbe was telling me he loves watching Semyon Varlamov because he's so explosive. He's a big guy, but he, he has an explosive movement. Interesting. Uh, lastly, this is from Jeff Putnam. And Jeff Putnam asks, why is the Pacific Division so weak this season? And I think my first answer would be, this season? <laughs> uh, I think it's been weak for a while. I think the Pacific was probably one of the, at least the two weakest divisions in the NHL last year. You still have that cannon fodder, for lack of a better term, at the bottom. Uh, in Arizona, we still don't know if they're going to break through yet. Vancouver is clearly in rebuilding mode. Anaheim's very banged up, so we don't know which way they're going to go. The Kings have been struggling, and now they've lost Jonathan Quick. So, to me, I don't think it's a this-season thing. I think it's just the NHL moves in cycles, and right now you just have some teams that are... You have a bunch of teams that were very good for a very long time and are starting to transition out mm -hmm. in Anaheim and L.A., and you have some other teams that haven't had their moment yet in Arizona and Vancouver. Yeah, and I think part of it is structural, where you look at Anaheim and Los Angeles, these are big teams. Uh, they're not necessarily fast teams, and that's where the league has transitioned and that's why Vegas was able to do so well in the Pacific in their first season is they had a completely different playbook and that speed won out. You know Edmonton they're starting to come around after a slow start and Connor McDavid obviously a pretty good player in his own right. Um, so I think Edmonton is probably in the mix now and you're right I mean Arizona they're doing okay right now. Um, Vancouver has overachieved for the most part, but we know they're rebuilding. Calgary, to me, is a big X factor, and, and really San Jose as well. I mean, those are two teams that I think, you know, we, we just assumed they would be in the playoffs. And, you know, with San Jose, I mean, maybe a, part of it is just people getting used to each other. You bring in a big player like Brent Burns, everybody assumes that it's just going to be great. But, you know, adjustments need to be made. Matchups have to be figured out, things like that. And I, I think the Sharks will be okay, but it, it just seems like the Pacific is the division that has the most going on. That's and it's fair, not always yeah. it's not always positive. That's right. And I remember saying that before the season started that I thought it was the least predictable division. It was the snow globe division. You just who knows? You shake it and you see what happens. Uh, and we have a special treat for you to end off the podcast this week. I recently spoke with Tyler Sagan all about his decision to sign the extension in Dallas. He had some very interesting things to say. So this is Tyler Sagan. Enjoy the interview. 
question I have for you, um, especially now you've had a lot more time after you've obviously signed your extension. And I know in the summer there are lots of questions, and especially at the BioSteel camp, uh, and you were kind of you know put on the spot. But now that you've had time to look back, um, can can you say if you if you were confident all along that you're going to sign, or did you have any moments where you were not sure? same question but um and I, I maybe you've been asked before but when when john tavares signed for a star player like you did that did that make you think a little bit like oh man because i know for so much of the year people would say oh he's never going to toronto he's probably going to stay stuff like that and then all of a sudden he drops the bomb so i'm just curious for you did you ever when you heard that news did it give you pause Did it make you pause and kind of think about your own contract and, hmm, I wonder what it would be like to hit the open market, anything like that? Um, if there was any, you know, pause about thinking about the open market, it wasn't for very long in my head. You know, my goal and objective and, you know, really my dream, you know, all along was to stay in Dallas. Um, that's what I wanted, you know, since I really, you know, within the first few months of getting traded here from Boston, you know, I knew I wanted to be a star long as I could be. Um, and then obviously when the business side comes into play, you know, you have to think business as well, you know, and you know, you see the business side when you get traded, you see the business side when you start doing negotiations. And, you know, I don't regret at all how long it took, you know, the few months, you know, I guess not say how long, but the few months that it did take because I did get to learn a lot about the business side, you know, with negotiations, with, you know, understanding, yeah, it's a game, but it is a business still at the end of the day and um, I had to mentally think about being prepared to you know, play out this year and then maybe be a unrestricted free agent. So when I did think about that, that part, you know, I can say um, in a way I was ready, you know, to do that, but it was something I never wanted to do and I'm glad I never had to because, you know, I wanted to be a Dallas star and I'm a Dallas star, you know, through and through and you know, for the next eight, nine years now. Right, good. Um, and and how did it feel to sign and sort of um, now the feeling of knowing that you're you're digging in your roots now and you're going to be here for a long time? What does that feel like? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it felt great. I mean, especially the timing of it all and when it actually happened. Um, you know, it kind of happened. You know, I don't know, uh, real fast. I mean, it was negotiated back and forth. We kind of hit a wall, and then within a phone call one night and then walking in the next morning the deal was there and ready to ready to take and uh, I just had to call my agent and you know finalize it all but I mean it was an incredible feeling um, it was during our our media day at training camp so obviously I was with all my teammates and um, all the young guys as well and um, you know I signed I signed the contract you know the guys all found out and I left the practice rink uh, 
plane uh, to head out to training camp, and I remember, you know, driving on that drive trying to process it all, you know, understand that it's all said and done as far as the business side, you know, and I can just go play hockey, and, you know, I'm home, you know, I'm drive- I was driving to the airport, and thinking, you know, this is my home um, for, the, for the next, you know, eight, nine years, and it really was, it really was a dream come true, and obviously stepped on the plane, and you know, all the te- all the guys uh, gave uh, you know started clapping and you know gave me a congrats. And everyone nice. was so excited. It, it was just it was just such a good feeling um, and, a, and a day I'm never gonna forget. That's really cool. Um, yeah. And and for you, uh, like when the season's done, do you see Dallas as a long term place that you might settle down and live like full time, or do you think you'll always be a, a come back home to Canada kind of guy? No, for sure. I think I'll. Uh, I've been saying for a while I, I won't be selling down. Probably in Canada. Um, you know, I just I've been in the states since I was, you know, 15 years old. Since I went to Michigan, um, I go home for the summers, but you know, I can definitely see Dallas being the place that I stay. You know, especially now that it's all said and done, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I spend more summers, a little bit more now in Dallas than in Toronto. Uh, but obviously, still get home to see family like that. Right. Cool. Um, and. What what is it like being an NHLer and a star player in Dallas? Because you know, obviously, it's a huge sports market, but it, people don't associate it as much as other markets with hockey. So, for you, just have, you know, compared to being home, in terms of fan interactions, is it is it unique? Like I'm talking even little things like you know, fans that have Southern accents. Like to me, that's a weird thing to associate with hockey, right? So, has the experience been kind of different? Yeah, it's been different. Um unique in the way that no one knows a lot about Dallas. You know, they don't know how good it is to live here, how good it is to play here. They don't know how appreciative the fans are and, you know, how even, you know, much you do get recognized in the streets of Dallas uh, and at restaurants and how good the food is here. And there's just so many things that I didn't know about Dallas, you know, until I got here. And that I, a lot of people are still not aware of, you know, which makes it so unique and so special, and which is why I love it, and, you know, if you ask any guy that's ever come here, or been traded from here, they're not going to say a bad thing about the city of Dallas, uh, about the fan base, you know, there's not many nights that we're not both being sold out, um, so it might not have that historic hockey fan base, but it's got that sports fan base that everyone loves sports, they love hockey, uh, and it's definitely growing, and it's great to be a part of very cool. I'm glad I asked for the, for the same reason, right? Because up here, we don't know exactly what the day-to-day is like for, you know, even little things like if you, can you go to a movie? Can you go to the grocery store? And do you get recognized sometimes there? Or is it still different from being up here? Uh, yeah, you, you, you do get recognized. Um, you know, it's obviously not, I can only compare it to Boston or Toronto when I'm back in the summers. You know, when I'm playing in Boston and stuff, you go to the mall, you know, you can only be there for 25 minutes, you know, and then words on Twitter, and then people keep coming, and, um, and I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing, you know, I, I loved it the time I was there, I loved it, um, and then in Dallas, you know, you can go to the mall, but you can spend, you know, two, three hours there if you want, you're not going to get bombarded with fans, but you're not going to go to the mall for two hours and not have three or four people still coming up to you and saying, hey, you're getting left, right, or hey. You know, I'm a starting fan. You know, so you get recognized, but you can also live your life a bit more too here. Cool. So it's like, yeah, happy medium. Cool. Um, I, I think just one more question for you. Um, I know last year, especially with, with Ken Hitchcock coming in, um, there was a lot of talk at, about how you really diversified your game and you were killing a lot more penalties and 
becoming a lot more of a two-way guy. Um, so it's sort of a two-part question. One, do you was that influenced by Hitch? And two, was it influenced by Mike Medano? Because when Hitch coached Medano, I think there was a similar career path. Know what I mean? Well, um, I talked to Mike a little bit, not not a ton. You know, obviously he's not he's not around Dallas much anymore. We were in town, we were talking, talking about Hitch and stuff, and you know he was great there. But I think Hitch just Hitch gave me that opportunity that I've never really had. You know, I've never really gotten that opportunity on the talent show or. I never got that opportunity to, to make mistakes as being a first-line centerman. You know, my coaches in the past, when I made a mistake or had a bad game, they put me to the wing the next game. You know, Hitch didn't let me off the hook. You know, he, he, I'd have a bad game, and he'd say, you're going right back out there. You know, you played like crap against Dave last game, but you got Crosby them all night. You know, so he put me in that, that spot where, you know, I had to grab the opportunity, but he gave me the opportunity. I think I earned the respect of play in the position and you know it's something I still want to keep growing on but you know I do have to give a lot of credit for you know seeing that enemy and giving me that opportunity whether it's how he's feeling whether it's you know, playing the first line center minutes or whether it's out there taking the face off you know off a goal playing the game good well awesome man I think that's it uh, I appreciate the time and uh, congrats on the new deal alright thanks man I appreciate the call okay thanks Tyler Okay, thank you, Tyler. Hope you enjoyed the podcast this week, everybody. And we'll be back. In the meantime, go to thehockeynews.com and find out about our membership program.